Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Today is October 30th, 2015. You are watching episode 31 of Tokyo on Fire. Today, we are not following the original format of burning issues. Today, we're doing news and politics. And I'd like to tell you a little bit about why we've changed that format and where we are right now. We've done 30 episodes of burning issues. So if you look at our YouTube channel, all of those issues are there. And when we film them, we do them with the intention of them having a good shelf life so that if issues come up involved with TPP or women in politics or the economy, that sort of thing, you can visit them later and still get good value out of that. They're long and they're, they're pretty deep drills. We've received lots of comments from you, the viewers, that we really appreciate. We appreciate your participation. Right now, we have more than 200 subscribers to Tokyo on Fire. We have now reached 15,000 views on our channel, and this is really encouraging and compelling to us. If a burning issue comes up that really requires a deep dive, we'll definitely go in on that. We'll dive into it. But for right now, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on topical issues, make them a little bit shorter and a little bit more snappy so that we can give you, the viewers, a more dynamic experience and hopefully cover a little bit more ground each week. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Chuchek and Dr. Nancy Snow. Michael Chuchek, as you know, is the author of the foremost blog on Japanese politics and English. It is called Shisaku. He is also adjunct professor at Waseda University. Dr. Nancy Snow is now the Pax Mundi Professor of Public Diplomacy at Kyoto University of Foreign Studies. So thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. It's great to be here. <laughs> We've got a new format. We're going to jump into uh, a couple of issues and do a bit of a deep dive, pull right back out, and move on to a couple of new issues. Great. I'm looking forward to it. Sure. I got my fins on. Dr. Snow, we haven't had you for a couple of weeks. <laughs> it's good to have you back. Well, I've had a good time away from here, but... <laughs> You're in the final process of, of finalizing your, your latest book. This is your 11th book. It's on... Japan's struggle to go global. So it's looking at the government's public diplomacy, as well as nation branding and place branding, whether it's related to Tokyo or Okinawa. But uh, uh, all of this has is, is really come to light in the last few years because you've got China, Korea, and this sort of charm offensive Awkward Embrace. Competition. Yes, it's called Awkward Embrace, Japan's Struggle to Go Global. Of all the books that you've written, your first one was pretty much along the same lines, America Branding? Well, it's called Propaganda Inc., and it was followed by a book called Information War. Both of them were about U.S. branding. And uh, the first book was based on my experience working at the U.S. Information Agency in Washington, D.C. So, yes, I was a government propagandist. Mm -hmm. People are always curious about the, the different personalities that are on the show. And um, I'm, I'm really honored and, and so glad that you, you've joined us. And um, we have a, a different uh, video series that's called Brand 2020. We just launched it this last week. Right. And that is looking at the lead up to the 2020 Olympics, but not just related to the sports competition. So many issues in Japan now are targeted to uh, change and, and whether it's related to women and the corporate suite or having more English instruction in the schools. Something about 2020 is a little bit of a magic elixir. Mm -hmm. And so they're, we're, we're going to just look at how they're going to take this step by step in the next five years. And it's going to go by very quickly, and it will really accelerate after Rio next year when all eyes turn to Japan. Right. 
there's an awful lot of energy being devoted now to branding. Yes. You never saw this earlier. Uh, I think a lot of it had to do with the fiasco with the logo, the Olympic logo. Right. The, the kind of um, the, the sad thing that happened with the original design of the Olympic Stadium. Right. And apparently now, I guess the logo, they're making it a civil society contest so anybody can submit a logo design, my understanding in the, I don't know when the actual deadline is, do you know? But no. uh, the, the government basically said, okay, we contracted with somebody, that didn't work out, so we're going to put it now out there for the public. And if you're a foreign resident or a Japanese citizen, you can weigh in. So mm -hmm. all of the great artists out there, or the wannabe artists, have an opportunity to be featured. I mean, that that will go global. It would be very exciting. I can't draw, so I don't think I'm going to participate. But mm -hmm. uh, unless they're looking for something very minimalist, like a little uh, kind of hangman style, you know. Um, so I hope that maybe you or Michael will uh, get involved and uh, submit a design. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about branding just a little bit before we mm. go into our, our issues today. Branding is somewhat a, a component of propaganda. It is, it is the nation trying to convince people that this is what we stand for. Don't look behind the curtain. This is what we want you to focus on. Well, I've said over the years that it refers to putting the best facts forward. So uh, there is a little bit of a facade to nation branding. Um, Spin. Now, yes, spin. So it can have a negative taint because, of course, countries want to present their best selves and their best aspects. However, Edward R. Murrow, when he was director of USIA, had a philosophy of warts and all, that the United States should really show the world the challenges that we had. And when he was director of USIA, where I worked, but 30 years earlier, this was during the Kennedy years, uh, Murrow gave many speeches about the challenges of the civil rights and uh, race relations in the United States because he didn't want the Soviet Union to use that propaganda mm -hmm. against the U.S. So he felt very strongly, let's air the dirty laundry. Let's put it out there. Right. And you can't control the message entirely, but if you're more forthcoming, then this is sort of a lesson for some of these corporate scandals, too. If you step forward and you own the issue and say, we're taking responsibility for our, our challenges and race relations, then it made it much harder for the Soviets to manipulate right. that. First 48 hours are so critical. Mm-hmm. Right? That's right. Yeah. And when companies aren't able to pull this off well, it just becomes a point of ridicule, doesn't it? Well, sure. And it also means that you've lost control entirely of the message. So you've got a lot of actors involved, some of whom are very irresponsible and they mm -hmm. can take and we're in the age now where you can take any image and manipulate it, any message, you can Photoshop anything. So this is the age of propaganda. I, I, I don't shy away from the term. I know it has a negative taint, certainly in the U.S. and I believe so in Japan as well. But I wish that we would at least embrace it in terms of the study of its use and misuse so that we can just be more critical consumers. What kind of brand issues are you examining in this new video series, Brand 2020? What well, kind of keystones are there that are branding for, for the Japanese? Well, one of them for me, I'm coming at it from my expertise, which is in higher education. 
And as an academic here, and one now affiliated with Kyoto University of Foreign Studies, I'm very, very devoted to the internationalization of the curriculum, mm -hmm. not just in getting more foreign students here, but actually looking at issues from a cross-cultural, cross-national perspective. I think there's more creativity there. It makes the classroom more exciting. But you have to really utilize these students and faculty in a very proactive manner. So a lot of universities now are pointing to their increase in foreign students, but I'm not sure if they're really changing the curriculum. I'm hearing from students that there are there's still a lot of progress yet to be made in terms of utilizing the the actual differences of opinion and, and perspectives right. that these students bring to Japan. But that's just a small component, isn't yeah. it? I mean, sure. the food culture here, uh, anime, or uh, for example, the, the fact that Tokyo is a, a castle city, that's, that's lost on a lot of people, but that is part of the brand that's probably been um, a little bit submerged, but I mean, well, These the food of... culture's world-renowned, right. and of course you mentioned anime and, and manga, and that too is part of the whole global marketing of Japan. The worry I have with that is that some of these archetypes, like Hello Kitty and, right. and even sushi promotion, they've been around now for so long that really Japan doesn't own that anymore. Right. Yeah, it's a little passe. If I were doing nation branding in Japan, I would, for instance, with Cool Japan, offer grants to small businesses or to people like artists and uh, writers to promote really the storytelling in mm -hmm. Japan. So it, it's fine to have products, but what's the story? What's the narrative around it? What's the context? And I think there are so many stories, people to people, that we're not telling. We tend to kind of the foreign press, and I write too in this arena, uh, we tend to kind of uh, go to the same sort of usual topics. And there's there's a depth and a, and a complexity to Japan, which is exciting, which is why we're here. And let's uncover those. Let's mm -hmm. dig deeper. You talk about Tokyo on fire, you know, diving into the issues. We have to do the same thing with nation branding. Yes. If you make it superficial, then people will lose interest because we're living in a, in a trend-setting uh, global culture where people's ability to concentrate is very limited. Mm -hmm. They move on to the next new thing. And I think that there are some fundamental stories here that really will have a lasting effect. Mm -hmm. And they have to do with how does this all work? Why is it so safe here? Why is there this social contract of people really kind of looking out for each other, but doing it in a low-key, refined manner, not right. in a real bold manner. And the Japanese tendency not to self-promote right. is a great strength because it's so different from so many nations. So this, instead of saying, well, we're Reserve. not natural promoters, use that to your advantage. It's called active listening. Mm -hmm. And I would put much more training into that to work with people to sort of paraphrase and be able to mirror what they're hearing, this would be very useful in international negotiation. Brand 2020, it is not just a video series. The video will come out, what, maybe maybe once a month? Yes, I think okay. so. Great. I don't want to focus too much on Brand 2020, but it is a new uh, component of you know what we're doing here at Tokyo on Fire, and um, I, I'm really looking forward to that. Michael, let's shift over to you. There's a lot going on economically, politically in Japan. Can you kind of tee up 
where we are right now so that we can get into our issues. What's going on on your radar? Well, today is Friday, and this is going to be loaded up on Tuesday, so this will be old news, but the BOJ uh, came out of its meeting today, and with the new statement about how it's going to behave in regards to the latest statistical data. Now, the data has been surprisingly good, considering that China is going through a slowdown, mm -hmm. uh, especially in terms of the industrial production numbers, which really have set the stage for today's BOGA action. Now, why is this such an important issue for us? Uh, well, we have the, the election coming up next year, and the Abe administration basically having gone through the security issue is now going to be working entirely on economics. Mm -hmm. And let's face it, so far, economics, a lot has been done, but the average citizen has not seen much in the way of positives out of it. What they've seen, most citizens have seen, uh, if you ask them, is prices have gone up, mm -hmm. uh, the taxes have gone up. Our wages have not gone our up. Our wages are, have not gone up. More of us are working longer. Uh, where's the payoff? Mm -hmm. And the, the LDP is somewhat concerned, not terribly concerned, uh, about what that could mean come July of 2016. Right. And we have now a new set of three arrows. Uh, perhaps the philosophy of the Abe administration is set the goalposts really far ahead, and maybe we'll hit somewhere in between. Well, we'll see what they're going to try to do. That a new ministerial position for energizing the 100 million, whatever they call it, mm -hmm. uh, that, that position, it went into full swing this last week. For, in the beginning of the week, uh, Minister Kato went to, on his first tour, it was as far as Setagaya uh, here in Tokyo, where he looked at a few retirement homes and uh, daycare centers for, for elder care. And put forward the idea that what the the national government can do is lower the rates at which it's renting land to these facilities. Mm -hmm. That, of course, that would affect the revenues that the government is getting, but what Japan needs very quickly and very immediately is a vast expansion of elder care. Now, that was a part of it. And then what happened yesterday was the first meeting of the advisory council. Now, this has all kinds of people on it from all kinds of different walks of life, including the actress, singer, uh, Kikuchi Momoko. Uh, people are wondering, why, why, are you, why is she there? Uh, is it, and, but there are all kinds of academics. Uh, there's the head of the Nippon Keidanren, is also a member of the commission. And they're supposed to put together what the three new arrows are supposed to mean. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the, the I'm on record as saying that it's an absurd set of, of goals that are unreachable under any circumstances. And if you, if you read the New York Times this past week, uh, members of, of very high uh, government or semi-government organizations also are, are, are somewhat looking in, uh, skeptically at what the government's doing. Uh, the, uh, the situation is, let's get a program. Right. But is this the program? I'm really wondering about that. Well, let's hope other people are watching Tokyo on fire. The prime minister's office printed, what, uh, a million, 10 million posters on Ichioku? With the prime minister there uh, broadcasting his uh, commitment to Ichioku. Yeah, it's the LDP has put out these posters, and it, it's a, a really peculiar uh, that they're so far advanced. But again, they're, they're looking toward July 2016. And the election 
one gets a sense almost of overkill mm-hmm. because it's not the the LDP that's in a position of of defense in 2016 in the terms of the senator positions that are open. It's the the, the opposition DPJ. They have the large number of senators up for re-election. And let's face it, their support numbers are still in the tank. Mm-hmm. So they should be the ones printing out these posters, but it seems instead that the, the LDP just wants to steamroller right over them. Well, let's hope that it is a, a show of commitment. I mean, that's how perhaps a lot of people will be reading that, and who knows? I mean, time will tell. I don't know. It, it's, it, it, if it's not going to work internationally, uh, people, uh-huh. on, on an international level, very few of, uh, at least the financial community, very few believe in, in anything that's going on in terms of that. And it's being rubbished as purely a political move. Uh, it's an inexplicable political move, perhaps for Europeans and Americans, that you would actually promise something that cannot be done. But in the current situation here in Japan, with the LDP so much more popular than the DPJ, the DPJ not having any real issues where it can say, we are significantly different from the LDP, except some technical issues having to do with the security legislation. It's, it's maybe, you know, telling a bald-faced lie is okay. Mm-hmm. It's funny he should say that, that uh, the LDP is promoting something that can't be done because I think politicians the world over do it. I don't know if anybody saw the GOP presidential debate, but they were making a lot of promises that were highfalutin mm-hmm. and very unlikely when they were, the reporters afterwards were talking about the Pinocchios, how many right. of them were lying about what they could achieve. Uh, when you have political gridlock like we do in Washington, and I see a lot of gridlock here, but it's related to the LDP just completely dominating everything. And DPJ is not any legitimate opposition party. I don't even know why we talk about the DPJ. <laughs> well, they talk Window about, dressing. Well, the DPJ has basically the same core that it's always had. What it hasn't been able to do is attract the non-aligned voter. Mm-hmm. The non-aligned voter, instead of showing up at the polls and making the difference as the non-aligned voter did in 2009 and elections before that, uh, the non-aligned voter simply has not gone to the polls. And mm-hmm. when you don't vote, you don't count. Right. And as a consequence, the DPJ, which lives off the blood of the non-aligned vote, mm. it's, it's, it's withered to a very, very... The floaters. Right. Yeah. yeah they are so, it's so important, the floaters. And, and you could see that mm-hmm. through history. The, the elections where the LDP could attract the non-aligned vote, like it, like was done under Koizumi. Mm-hmm. Koizumi was able to pull back and actually run as the opposition to his own party. Mm. And that's because that was attractive to the, to the right. floating voters. Right. Nowadays, just being opposed to the LDP, just being the, the opposition, is not enough to mm-hmm. get people to show up at the polls. So when you say, you know, they're, the Pinocchios are lying. But let's face it, Japan's not in a situation where you have a whole bunch of people trying to vie for a highly partisan vote, in, mm-hmm. as you do in the United States, in the mm-hmm. case of the Republican mm-hmm. uh, presidential right race. And, and, At uh, least during uh, the primaries. And that's right. There's the, the primaries, general. right? There's yeah. always this, that you, you run far to the right, and mm-hmm. then you run back to the center. Right. Here, there's no one to run against. So here, what you're really doing is 
trying to impress the rest of the world. And let's face it, Japan still hasn't sold everything. And mm -hmm. that's, that, that's right. the whole point of your book. Yeah. If you start with Pinocchio's on a national level, as uh, according to your thesis about mm -hmm. having to do with Edward R. Murrow, warts and all, if you start off with, with lies, propaganda as completely unachievable goals, people are going to shut you off. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's a very great danger in the current administration. Speaking of rubbish, let's talk a little bit about Asahi Kase, the construction company that has been found to be drilling holes for supporting rather large buildings, but not getting quite down to the bedrock. Uh, okay, first of all, Asahi Kase, as the name indicates, it's not a construction company. It's, it, it's, it's a chemicals company, and it's the maker of saran wrap here, for example, in Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, it has that, uh, it has that uh, franchise. So it's basically a company that got into the construction business as a side business and gone into it in a big way. Unfortunately, this side business has now taken over the entire media image of the corporation. And in this case, it built seemingly a large number of buildings with insufficient pilings, with, with pilings that do not go deep enough, that are not large enough, that are not, have not been inspected, and that they, the major governance issue is they didn't have the data, so they made up data. Mm -hmm. And they're now contacting piecemeal uh, the residents and occupants of over 3,000 modern buildings mm -hmm. in, right. uh, in Japan uh, to get in touch with them to talk about it. Now, the number of places which actually have falsified data might be fewer than 100. Uh, currently, the number is somewhere in the 40s. Uh, but it's not just tall apartment buildings, and we're talking 14, 15, 16 stories. But uh, this morning's newspaper said that there's a middle school in uh, Yokohama, for example, that was done by the same group, and which now has to be questioned in terms of its safety, which for Japanese is unacceptable. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it was very, very important. It's always been important for schools to be the most strong buildings, not only to spare the, the students, but because they are where you go. They're the after, refuge, they're, refuge centers. Uh, they're right. refuge centers for after earthquakes. Right. They are the shelters for everyone. And when the great earthquake happened in Sichuan, the uh, commentary from China was, in, in Japan, when an earthquake comes, everyone goes to the, to the uh, schools for shelters. Here in China, when the earthquake comes, it is the schools that fall down and kill all the children. Mm -hmm. You know, mm. that kind of, it's a brand image issue for, mm. for Japan. And that now we're getting schools and other public buildings involved in this scandal uh, is going to be troublesome for the company, if not catastrophic. But beyond that, the issue has to do with really consumption in Japan. One of the few bright spots in, in, Japanese, in the Japanese economy are these, the building of these high-rise apartment complexes that have really sprouted over the last 15 years, especially in the urban areas, especially in Tokyo. The discovery within the urban area of unsafe buildings, you know, that's a, that's the, that's a North Korean problem, right. that's a Chinese problem, we have the great buildings. The, the breaking down of the public trust in terms of these new buildings will make buyers a little bit more wary uh, and saying, you know, who, who, well, who did dug the holes for the pilings of right. this building? 
This sounds a little bit like the Volkswagen issue, doesn't it? Mm. I mean, a problem of this magnitude, it really is not that kind of a problem that goes all the way up. I mean, it could be a, a subcontractor drilled these holes. It was his job to reach the foundation. It was could, his job to provide the correct data. Right. Yeah, and they just got behind and they the building was up and, okay, we can't do the tests, so right. we'll fake them. And the way that they discovered this was uh, a massive uh, uh, apartment complex where um, the the stairwell was beginning to separate from the rest of the building. And they thought, well, isn't this strange? Mom, come take a look at this. And I guess this this, um, um, difference began to to creep a little bit. People got concerned and they did an investigation. You know, there's a big difference, though, between Asahi Kase and Volkswagen. Yes. I mean, VW, Volkswagen, this is such a major, iconic brand company for Germany. And I did an interview with Deutsche Welle uh, where they were talking to Simon Anholt, who's probably the most famous uh, guy in place branding and nation branding. And he felt very strongly that Volkswagen is such a strong brand that it will survive the scandal. And I thought differently because consumers had placed so much trust in this brand, and it was such a shock, really, to their sense of German engineering, sure. which Germany, modern Germany, has really projected that value worldwide, that I thought it was, it was really going to damage uh, not only Volkswagen, but somewhat the image of German engineering. Mm-hmm. So Asahi Kase, unless this really grows, I, I think it won't play as widely. Uh, but I, I think you make a good point, though, about uh, Japan and the being so risk-averse and so security-oriented and especially protecting children. It, it, it has the potential to, to get really bad. I'm just wondering, how do you go from saran wrap to a construction side business? I mean, that just sounds like a disaster waiting to happen. Saran wrap is not exactly uh-huh. what you're using to set up a foundation. But I mean, they're, they're, no, they're specialists in all kinds of different kinds of plastics yeah. and all kinds of different kinds of materials. And that led them into construction. Well, if, you go, if you go around your neighborhood to, to this evening and you look at a construction site, There'll be all kinds of different companies that you say, why are they doing construction? And one of, them, one of them will be, you will see buildings that have Asahi Kase on the side. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing, too, is that these companies, they essentially came out of the era of the Zaibatsu, these mm. huge conglomerates. Mm-hmm. They were busted up after the war. And now there are many companies, but there's this, there's this drive to be um, inclusive and to, to, um, to capture your downstream and your upstream. And not only that, but, I mean, these companies are, are very wealthy. You have to use the money. You just don't store it away, so you purchase other companies. And I think what they did was they thought it would be a good value to add a construction company to their portfolio. So the tipping point will be death or injury? No, the no. tipping point is simply that it breaks down the ability uh, to be confident in housing. Mm. And for most Japanese, the only asset they were ever owned is their house. Uh-huh. Right? Uh, it's mm. uh, more so it, than a car. Man, the, the, mm. the two assets in Japanese life are cash and uh, a house. Wow. And mm-hmm. at that point, you, are, you, you have really um, put a damper on enthusiasm 
for, con mm. for consumerism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And especially in the, the one area that was really going well, which is these high-rise apartments. Uh, these, and again, it has to do with, with self-image, it has to do with confidence. You want people to think that the systems are taking care of them. There is no sense in, in Japan, really, of caveat emptor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The right. government is fully responsible for almost everything. Mm -hmm. Well, they're in everything. I mean, mm -hmm. they have regulators that are watching them drill, and they're testing the cement as it goes into the, the holes as there, well. There's all kinds of things that where the government is involved that w it immediately smoballs into something quite out of control. Mm -hmm. Now, what you probably would have been upset, been upset about is the head of Asahi Kase going on having a press conference and start crying. He did for, cry. And cry, right. which, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the dynamics. The dynamics. The, 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 the visuals. The were not great. Right. Uh, but he was doing the, uh, what he thought was right. Mm -hmm. He was putting on the correct act Appealing of contrition. Appealing to shareholders and also consumers, people who are living in... And we're more so than 3,000 buildings. Is, you know, this is, and, and to our employees and blah, 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 blah. Right. Well, the Volkswagen CEO resigned. He didn't right. cry. Well, the Volkswagen <laughs> one, I agree with you. It's, it's substantially different. Yeah. I mean, to make a decision like that, it required higher-ups. With Kase, it, it didn't... I mean, this probably was done by a mm. lower-level contractor that who was, was just trying to cut corners, you know, and, and the, the major contractor is saying, look, you can drill these holes, but I'm only paying you this much, and you need to do it by this time. And it's, Who's going to find out? Yeah, and it's, and it's all underneath the umbrella of Mitsui Fudosan, right. the, the, the grand international level uh, real estate development corporation. I mean, it's, its headquarters are right next door to the Imperial Palace. Wow. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it, the mm -hmm. only thing between the Imperial Palace and, and Mitsui Fudosan is the Imperial Palace Hotel. <laughs> So it's really at the center of things. Right. For One of the to, major shareholders of Asahi Kasai. Yeah, with, mm. and so it, it has the tendency to spread out, even sure. though it seems it's a marginal business inside a, a company that has no international brand recognition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That being said, it's, it may also be in the interests of the government to hype this. We, one can't get away from that. That we have there. There are always these domestic mm. issues that that seemingly are way overplayed. Okay, so we have a problem with some buildings. What country doesn't? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's not been any kind of attempt to frame this in an international way or in a in a way involving. Well, sometimes things go wrong. You know, a risk taking point of view. Everything is presented entirely in a very, very uh, closed-minded, closed-country, closed-borders kind of presentation. And one suspects at this point that that hel actually is helping the government, not by changing the subject on the front right. pages. Well, the other thing that's... It's the first story, it's the first story up on NHK each right. night. Right. And, right. And it's night after night after night. And it's just an apartment building, right. okay? Uh -huh. And well, nobody's been hurt and nobody's been killed. Mm -hmm. Would the value be, it reminds me of when Obama first came into office and there was all the rhetoric, all the coverage about shovel-ready projects and there was going to be signage and we're going to fix the infrastructure, uh, we're going to fix the roads and the, and the bridges because right. everybody's driving over them in our, in our auto culture. 
Well, that just sort of went by the wayside. You see a few of these signs now, but that's ancient history. So it sounds like you're, if the government can exploit this somewhat, can they relate it back to this 100 million active people, which I don't really get, the whole thing with the shrinking society. Mm -hmm. and um, But trying to get people connected to government really is here to serve the public will and the and to reestablish public trust when when companies go awry is that uh, still I think the narrative is still uh, up for grabs okay so yeah. that you're not going to it's not going to be clear who's responsible I mean we, we have a lot of grandstanding in the news media what a terrible thing this is again uh, it hasn't even given anybody a hangnail much less you know, any other kind mm. uh, certainly the people who live in that apartment complex are going to see their uh, investment diminish, 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 right. diminish, <laughs> diminish and also if not entirely wiped out uh, you know that's that's the way it goes and at which point Kase will have to provide some kind of financial settlement right. and that'll be handled but currently it's being it's been it's been a hysterical I thought response. you all said, though, that this is not a very litigious it is not, society. No. So when you say settlement, we're talking peanuts here? No, or? we're talking about outside uh, of the court system. Right, okay. uh, preemptively. Right, right. All right. The other thing that, uh, that I think is important to point out here is that in this society, there is just an a, 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 a allergic reaction to assuming responsibility. And we're seeing that in spades here. So it's not my fault. I... I farmed out this part of the project and we had another company come in and they did it. And it's even gone a little bit further and they have identified one fellow who was in charge of the drilling of these um, pylons. And he's also been involved in maybe 36 other sites and they're, they're looking at those very carefully. They found another one yesterday, but it's not his site, it's somebody else's site and they have the same problem there. One of the other things that is... Right, okay, the, the search for blame. Right. Finding someone to blame. Mm -hmm. Okay, you say... A, 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 a allergic reaction. Allergic reaction right. to responsibility. It, the, 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 the contrary reaction, which is to find the person who's to blame, is very strong. Yes. And, and, and one of the aspects of Japanese culture that is perhaps not admirable is this search for blame. We have to find somebody, well, that's right? the guy crying. No, no, well, no? not really. He no, is, he's, he's actually trying to, 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 to slough off. Yes. Oh. You know? I, I'm so sorry, but I was actually not responsible. I thought he was crying saying the The, the buck, buck stops, stops here. here. No, yeah. no, 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 no. And they had the three of them bowing and then one guy on the corner looking and, are they still bowing? Yeah, I'm bowing. <laughs> Good yeah? Oh, Okay, here That's we go. slapstick. Oh, it's, it's yeah. slapstick, but it's, it's real. It it's, is, it's, you it's, know, they're, they're with their lawyers before they go out to that press conference and they are coached and they've practiced what, uh, unlike what we do here on Tokyo on Fire, they practice, <laughs> you know, what they're going to be saying and how they're going to be delivering and it. The, and it has to do with, and, and it really, it, no, it, the, the point of the lawyers is very important. What works internationally does not work inside sure. the country. Right. What works in Japan and works with Japanese judges who oversee, even if it's, it's settled out of court, who oversee what's going on, what, they live in a very different messaging universe. Sure. Sure. One of the facilities that they found that has a problem is this neutrino acceleration facility. Right. That's right. So oh, the, yeah. That's not good. No. It's, but it's, <laughs> no. It's fine. It's it's, it's 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 gathering information from outer space. It's not. Yes. Gonna, it's not going to hurt anybody, and it's underground. No big deal. Mm. But <laughs> whatever is going on, it is 
It, 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 it reflects, I just hope they had. It's an they issue of trust. Anywhere near Fukushima, Daiichi. Uh, it, yeah, it's it the 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 stock of, of Asahi Kase is now in the tank, which is as it should be mm-hmm. because of poor government. But people don't own much stock here anyway. Oh, but oh, yeah. the, but the institutions do. Ah, mm-hmm. right. Okay. And yeah. and uh, the uh, the government also is getting into it be, through the BOJ. What's the real issue here is, of course, is this go- the government has these new governance rules that it's putting into place and saying that the Japanese economy is changing and that we're more sensitive to mm-hmm. uh, international investors, to uh, active investors and their complaints about corporate governance. It's just, it, this indicates that it's business as usual. Listen, I have some complaints too. This is Tokyo on Fire. We are in our new format. We've been talking about uh, Asahi Kase for what, 20 minutes? We just can't get away from this. and. It's, I mean, I don't know what it is about us or about our, our, our compunction to kind of go into these issues, but this is really, really interesting, and I'm sorry, it's very difficult for us to disengage and break away into uh, yet another issue. But related to Asahi Kasei, we've got the Toshiba, a similar kind of corporate governance uh, violation, and also uh, a couple of years ago there was the Olympus camera uh, fiasco. and. You know, there are a lot of people that say this is a part and a component of Japanese business culture. At the board level, these kinds of things happen all the time. They don't change the board members. There are very, very rarely um, women or outsiders that are involved. And so it's pretty much carte blanche to these fellows who have chauffeured cars and uh, golf appointments once a week. Okay, so what's our next issue? Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the self-defense forces. There's been a little bit of a shift going on here. The Prime Minister has passed new legislation that will go into effect in the spring of next year, 2016. There are things already underfoot. There's construction of new minesweepers. There's a push to encourage more people to join the self-defense forces. There are a lot of posters out there, women dressed up very smartly in the Air Force, the ground self-defense forces, uh, the Marine forces. Uh, There's a lot going on there. They're pushing really hard in order to make the self-defense forces seem an attractive career option. The, the, the numbers are still pretty good in terms of recruiting, but the government is very much aware that the demographics are really tra- mm-hmm. terrible, mm-hmm. that the number of young people uh, is going to become a major issue in terms of maintaining the force. And this is at the same time that it's promising the United States and the rest of the world that Japan's going to be an active player. Right. Uh, if it doesn't have the people, it's not going to be that player. True, they're putting out these new uh, weapon systems. Well, well, some of them are not even really active weapon systems like the, the minesweepers that you were talking about. Those are going to go online. They're going to be a really big asset that Japan can help deploy. And the new security legislation specifically talks about minesweeping in the Straits of Hormuz mm-hmm. as being Japan's way of participating in in international action if there's some kind of military conflict in that area, while retain, staying within the boundaries of its con- present constitution. It's, a, it's one way that Japan traditionally has been, been in the Mideast. Minesweeping has been a regular aspect of its participation there. The only difference is, is that what's happened under the new legislation and what the new SDF would be doing is going in while there's shooting going on. Right. And that's the, 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 that's the advertising issue. Until now, the SDF has really been a self-defense forces, which has a major component of which is actually disaster relief. Mm-hmm. 
Disaster relief is actually something quite new for the United States and other countries that their militaries get involved in it. And it's now big, become a big selling point, human security and all right. that. But for, for Japan's self-defense forces, almost from the outset, that was one of their main jobs. Because let's face it, nobody's invaded Japan any time recently. Right. right, and they should have stayed at that. So I'm still very upset about the fact that we just put to rest the security bills and we all have to go forward on this. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned the mine sweeping. If you recall the Gulf War, 1991, Japan went in two months after the end of the shooting and the right. conflict and helped to uh, clear out the commercial ship lanes. Japan was criticized even then though with this sort of checkbook diplomacy that it didn't have an active role to play uh, as the U.S. forces in that multinational uh, conglomeration as it was. Um, well, it was a United Nations action, so it's, it was okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was United Nations about as okay as any action I know, but there been. weren't a whole lot of other countries. It was definitely a U.S.-led war against well, Saddam Hussein. 20, there were at least 25 members of the coalition, and, 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 and you know, Russia and China were cool on it. Mm -hmm. It was a very different situation than what we've had in, under the Bush administration. Yeah, but no, I want... I'm sorry, I the second Bush administration. I wanted to explain what this... Because I've been writing about this today. I'm doing a policy paper comparing China, Korea, and Japan's approach to public diplomacy. And you can't view this out of the political context. You can't view it out of the state-to-state -state relations and how Japan is now coming to terms with its population never being in favor of giving up this pacifist stance. Right. So it's not just a personnel issue. It's still a bit of a sort of philosophy gap sure. between the government and the people. So that still is what bothers me. And, and I don't think people really even understand the security bills. I don't. I don't understand what proactive pacifism means. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not sure the Japanese government understands that. They, they'll know better when there is some type of attack that may take place because Japan is going to make itself more vulnerable to attack, right. I think. But that's the thing. The, 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 um, there was an American uh, commentator who once said, uh, if, you, if your hands are clean, it's not because you're pure, it's because you're not helping. Uh-huh. Okay? So I'm of, I'm of that philosophy that International diplomacy, international peace requires requires every once in a while to get your hands yes. dirty. Right, and, and you can do that in the uh, disaster relief mm -hmm. because that the, 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 uh, Japan's relationship with the United Nations I, it's it's almost a romantic relationship, and yet now Japan wants to be a permanent member sure. of the Security Council, wants to play with the big boys. Okay. As I've said before, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, well, because look at what the look what has happened to the United States brand in the world. Mm -hmm. Gone I downhill. Mean, it's gone very downhill. Much. I mean, right. we're not seeing Putin's the world leader now. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. so I I just uh, I don't know what the great gain is, and I think where they missed the ball this summer is in the public information campaign to explain the the public education. Uh, it, it, it was just so incredibly arrogant and, mm -hmm. and just so dismissive of people's worries. People are worried when there is a fear vacuum. I mean, they, they just didn't understand 
Where are we going? Why are we making right. these changes? And it was never explained well. Well, the national character of, of Japanese, it's, a, it's an, perhaps a generalization, but they are very risk averse. And um, mothers and fathers whose sons went and joined the self-defense forces did it with the idea that he is not going to be in harm's way. That's he might, right. a, a tree might fall on him, but he's not going to be shooting. He's not right. going to be in an exchange of, uh, of uh, you know, military actions. And that, that now has, has all changed, particularly with all of the action in the Spratleys. This is true. And I, I, I like, I'm not a warmonger by any means, but you, you have to say, Okay, what was done in terms of the security legislation was done in an unconstitutional manner. Unfortunately, constitutionality in Japanese modern history has always been a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. It's always been somewhere. It would be very difficult to argue nowadays that Prime Minister Kishi, by forcing the country, frog marching it into renewing the security treaty in 1960, mm. did terrible damage to Japan, that it hurt Japanese security. At the time, it was an extremely forceful mm. and authoritarian action, but you have to think, you have to argue, well, you know, actually it was probably a pretty good idea to, mm -hmm. uh, because the alternatives to a security relationship with the United States were not great. Mm. But there was tremendous resistance. So we had resistance also this time, no, nowhere on the scale that uh, Prime Minister Kishi had, and Prime Minister Kishi had to resign after forcing through these votes. Mm -hmm. uh, over time, we'll, we'll see if we're, this anger that we feel uh, mm -hmm. is really justified. It's, the proof will be in, in how much the government goes forward after Kishi the government pulled really hard back in all on all fronts so that succeeding prime ministers focused almost entirely on economic development right. uh, with, with absolutely no interest in security affairs, even, even in diplomacy very much. This became very insular country based and on the idea we're going to double incomes, we're going to have 10% plus growth we per year. We have this uh, um, and, and military that, and that umbrella that we can rely on. Right. And they went off and did something else. Mm -hmm. If that is what is replicated, and, and that's what, what the Abe administration is promising. Okay, we've done the security thing, thank you, we're going to move on to the economy. Right. Not if, only that, that. If, if we get a decade of that, yeah. what a difference it'll be. Sure. Well, remember Abe's speech at the UN saying, okay, 1.5 billion to the Middle East, and then in the news conference that followed, when he was asked specifics, he said, well, I don't think we can really accommodate. Syrian refugees. Yes, right. so it, it, it's sort of <laughs> speaking out of <laughs> mm -hmm. opposite sides of your of your mouth, but that that's what will probably continue here. Is I'd like to segue into the economy and TPP, what's going on there. But I, I do have to point out that the Japanese minesweepers, I mean, they are, they are foremost in the world. This is one of the things right. that they do better than anybody else. And it's interesting that we were talking about Asahi Kasai just earlier. And the point is that these minesweepers, the reason why they don't trigger these, uh, these uh, mines is because they're not made of metal. They're made of plastic. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, 
Isn't that interesting, the technology there? And that takes probably a lot of saran wrap. It, take, it takes a lot of saran wrap and a lot of very, very intelligently made saran wrap. So the old man and the graduate was right. That's, yeah, that's right. right. Plastics. That's right. I mean, uh, an entire <laughs> ship made out of, out of plastics. And these are, these are beautiful ships. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So in a final bow to the economy... Okay. Wanna, let's talk about TPP. And let's talk about at. TPP. There has been some movement. It's actually stalled in the United States. There's a big brouhaha going on there. But it looks like the Abbey administration is going to boom forward with TPP. It's, it was originally, I mean, one of the three arrows. It was one of the cornerstones of, of the third arrow, which is regulatory reform. It started out really with the, the uh, declaration by Prime Minister Khan of the DPJ that this would be one of the black ships. Mm -hmm. This mm. would be an event... On the, on the scale of the 1854 Friendship Treaty of the United States, where the black ships of Commodore Perry came and said, here, we've got a treaty, sign it. Excellent. Uh, and he says, this will be, this kind of, of trade agreement will be, have the same opening effect. Mm -hmm. I doubt that. Uh, I don't think it's going to have much an effect at all, because when you look at the list of the products and the list of the programs that each product will have its tariffs lowered, yes, but we'll have this to make the transition right. easier. Without a lot of sunsetting, mm -hmm. I mean, without a lot of, by, by this date, we will then eliminate the, these uh, helpful uh, countermeasures, as they call them. Mm -hmm. you, know. you say, the whole point was to break open the walls. Right. You know? Well, put yourself in the prime minister's position. I mean, what in the hell is he going to do? I mean, he's had 20 years of continuing decline in the economy. He's mm -hmm. got to do something. And frequently when the Japanese are in this situation, the easiest thing is to blame it on the foreigners. We have to do this because of the black ships or because of high technology or because mm -hmm. of the automobiles. And in fact, there is a little bit of pain, but they use that. I mean, it's like, it's like you know, what the Japanese are famous for. They take some foreign alien a non-Japanese concept or product, they bring it in, they tool it, they they do something, and it becomes something that's quite different than what the original product was, better and faster, that sort of thing. We'll see. Yeah, I, I, I think that it, it's just old-time politics that you'll be taken care of. Mm -hmm. Well, there again with TPP, similar to Japan's self-defense forces, we're lacking a public education element here because I can remember working at USIA when we were marketing NAFTA. That was our big directive from President Clinton. So we had to go out and sort of propagate how great NAFTA was going to be. There was a lot of resistance, especially from Canada mm -hmm. and um, some in Mexico. But ultimately, of course, it passed. You don't really hear anything about it anymore. When I was in Washington, few weeks ago, it had just passed there and there was great excitement at the foreign policy dinner that was a U.S.-Japan forum. However, there was a lot of sort of uh, chatter about Hillary Clinton stepping forward and saying, I'm really not in favor of what just got passed. And, bit of a uh, surprise. Yeah, a bit of a surprise, but then Bill Clinton had sort of done the same thing early on. So I think it was some gamesmanship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and I, I was able to get a question in, though they had an expert on TPP, and I, I said, I think from a consumer perspective, because I'm not way up here in the government, I want to know how is it going to impact me when I go into the grocery or into the 
convenience store. And, and that's the, the missing part here. Mm -hmm. Because all of this has occurred behind closed doors. Just right. same thing with the WTO. That always leads to a lot of conspiracy theories. Yes. Well, I was surprised that the Japanese eventually did join in. I think it, mm. it is the right thing for them to have done, but it sure was uh, monitored and managed and kind of overlorded by the United States a little bit too heavily for, for my liking. But if there's going to be a homogenization of of trade rules and regulations within the Asia-Pacific region, I guess this is as good a place to start as any. And then some people online were saying, well, at least maybe my peanut butter will be a little cheaper now. <laughs> I mean, they had sort of their pet issues sure. related to TPP. Butter. Hey. Butter. Yes. <laughs> butter. We <need> butter. <laughs> we need New Zealand's butter. No, for a lot of people, that's that's what it's about. Sure. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, that... Guns and butter. <laughs> in this case, we don't have, we're in Japan. So That's right, the guns. exactly. I'm thinking very American here. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, but in terms of, of any recent movement, we're going to have to, to look forward to the government having a whole bunch of conferences mm. publicly mm -hmm. explaining what it's going to be doing. And there'll be a lot of promises in advance of the 2016 elections. What happens after the elections? is going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. Up until then, we're going to hear nothing but about the countermeasures, how the government will take this cold wind and warm it up a little bit, mm -hmm. when the whole point is the cold wind is supposed to stimulate people to, to get off their duffs right. and do something different. Uh, that's not going to happen for another year. You know, we're talking about regulatory reform, and it turns out that just the other day, the government announced a relaxing of the uh, regulations concerning um, housing third parties in homes and uh, in in hotels and in vacant houses, that sort of thing. And it looks like Airbnb is now right. receiving a little bit more of an open door. Well, they have they're looking at the number of hotel rooms that can be built in in Tokyo in time, and they, mm. they realize it's not going to happen. Right, mm -hmm. and they ha suddenly have a crisis situation involving that. The uh, various ministries, again, they're all siloed, and so some, the people who are in charge of fires are not going to like what's going to happen right. because they're going mm. to want to have every one of these buildings set up as if it were a hotel, uh -huh. even if it's a, a single-family home. It's not going to happen. And, and currently that's the regulation, though, mm -hmm. and that's the reason why such things as Airbnb have not really taken off here right. because you get a visit from the uh, local ward office saying you can't do what you're doing. Well, tourism for any nation is one of the easiest and quickest grabs, isn't it? I mean, it, it generates revenue rather uh, immediately, and it's it's cash. It's better than better than the citizens by far. That's right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and 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 it's a it's a healthy market here, isn't it? I mean, the the tourism industry is is growing by leaps and bounds. Lots of I mean, you can't help but miss uh, the Chinese in Osaka in. Okinawa, I was just in Okinawa last week, or in Tokyo, all the stores, all the hotels are, are pretty occupied. But as I like to call it, we hate you, but send us your rice cookers. Yes. So there is that sort of uh, contradiction in that the public opinion It's a part of still, diplomacy, though, isn't it? Right. I mean, it is bringing the Chinese and the Japanese closer together. Um, they're buying our products. Those products are doing very well in the Chinese market. I mean, they're world class. But it's interesting, though, in the in the surveys, though, about do you would you trust 
a mm-hmm. person across a nationality, those numbers are still quite low. They're still so, they're still still yeah. low, but they're improving. Yeah. And that's it's it's yeah. not yeah, it's from not where you're ten percent si- to twelve percent. Yeah, it's not <laughs> where, but it's not where you're sitting, it's the it's the momentum. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and we gotta keep moving forward is the what said the turtle. Yes. <laughs> And the turtle wins. <laughs> yes, That's the right. turtle did win. Aesop right. tells us that the <laughs> turtle wins. And that's what we need. Finally, the Tokyo Motor Show is now going on in Makuhari. Let's go. Um, speaking of turtles. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of, of driverless cars. A lot of driverless yeah. cars, a lot of new concept designs, a lot of, a lot of very innovative things are hitting the Who do you uh, the yell at then? <laughs> well, when the Volkswagen. driverless car cuts you off. Yes. Uh, that's that's actually yeah you're right. I'll get you empty seat. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the the legal implications are actually one of the things that are, the ministries are looking at. It's not the technology. They're they're completely confident in the technology, but they're trying to figure out okay if there is an accident, who gets charged? Right. <laughs> right. But I mean this is it this is the mainstay industry for Japan. I mean all over the world, the Japanese automobile industry is at the forefront. I mean it. it GM gave it a good run for the money, but the the Japanese automakers really dominate. And but and you can say that it was fair market or was an unfair market. What's the, what's really interesting in terms of this new movement towards driverless vehicles is that for an, a country with the demographics of Japan, it's a thank God it's here in time. <laughs> right. Before all those no geezers get are behind the wheel. <laughs> and this, there is nothing, I mean, I, I remember I was uh, in, in a group advising Toyota back over a decade ago, and there was a big fight within Toyota. Are we going to emphasize driving is fun, or are we going to emphasize driving is energy efficient, or driving is safe? Mm. And, they, and the car company, they're, they're car guys, they were really reticent about the third one, right? Because they didn't want to give the the mm. the, 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 the steering wheel over to a computer mm-hmm. because they wanted driving to be fun. Mm. They're giving up on it, yeah. mm-hmm. and that's I think a really big transition. Mm. Just before we close up this segment, Michael, what is your prognosis for the economy over the next three months, maybe oh, till please, January? Please February? don't ask me that. Oh, people uh, ask you that. People pay you money to, to talk about that. Yeah, they so. talk about politics in terms of the prognosis for the economy. I'm bullish. I'm bullish. <laughs> I am bullish. I think I think I think things will pick up. I think. With the uh, the cabinet in place and not so much mudslinging uh, right now, um, and the prime minister on a, a international um, travel, I think uh, the the economy. How will start- can you not be bullish between Halloween fright right? and Christmas sparkle here? Yes. All right. I'll I'll, I'll let I'll let the <laughs> holiday cheer continue and keep my peace. Okay. <laughs> so with that, I'd like to draw today's exciting session to a close. You've been watching Tokyo on Fire. This has been episode 31. You've been watching our new format where we have identified a couple of issues and segmented those and talked about those sometimes pretty deeply as we did with Asahi Kase. We welcome your comments and your recommendations. Please tell us what you think about this. Please hit the subscribe button. Our numbers continue to improve and we are greatly appreciative of that. You can contact us via email at comments at tokyoonfire.com. Alternatively, you can contact us on Twitter via hashtag tokyoonfire. Perhaps the best way to contact us or communicate with us is to post your comments directly inside the dialog box that appears on YouTube. Finally, we are available on iTunes.
This is a new format that we're using. Please bear with us as we go through the kinks. We try and working out the format now. Thank you very much for watching. My name is Timothy Langley. See you next week.